Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and also please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Our topic today is, should I outsource my IT or information technology functions? And you know, I think this is a question that companies wrestle with quite a lot. In fact, I know companies that kind of do the IT two-step where They'll insource it, then they'll outsource it for a while, and then they're not all that thrilled. They'll kind of bring it back and then send it out again. And, and you know, it's really sort of the Texas two-step information technology style. And, you know, having been a business owner myself, I had to face that decision. Now, uh, as an anecdote, when I when I had my, my firm for a while, Arpeggio Advisors, uh, our family at that time had started out as a Windows platform family. And then something like, <clears throat> Three weeks into my trying to launch my my company, where my blood pressure was at a fairly high level, all of a sudden, my wife's computer crashes and my oldest son's computer crashes. Basically, everybody's telling me they can't do anything, and we got to figure it out. And I spent an entire day getting them back up and running, which I eventually did. But I said. I'm, I'm just never doing that again. So, um, on Saturday, I don't know if, I don't know if Apple salespeople work on commission or not, but whoever, if they did, they made a lot of money on me that day. Cause that day, all the PCs are out, Macs are in, never had trouble since. And this is not meant to be an Apple infomercial. I mean, window, I do actually still have Windows machines for some things, but it's indicative of how IT can be disruptive to a business, even if you're a sole practitioner, even if you're a home-based business, that when, when you, when your infrastructure doesn't work well, it is a, a real pain in the neck. And it's, it's one of those things that's, it's kind of like an umpire in baseball. You, you don't, you don't notice them necessarily when they do great, but boy, when they fail, you notice the heck out of them. And IT is like that. When, when you're, when your technology fails you, I can tell you from, from, from my perspective, I feel betrayed when my technology does not, does not work. Cause I feel like, you know what? I'm doing my, my job, right? Why is Apple? Why is Microsoft? Why is whoever not sort of holding up their end of the bargain? And so the IT function in a company in the 21st century is every bit as important, if not more important than sales, than in accounting, product delivery. You know, it's, it, it, it's right up there. But I don't think that, I don't think that there's as much controversy or consternation around whether or not to, to keep that function or to outsource it. Or maybe if there's, you know, identifying kind of where that inflection point is, where you should consider that, should consider that, 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 that decision. 
And so, as is often the case, you know, I'm not qualified to advise you on how to make that decision. So I've brought in somebody who is qualified to help you make that decision. And joining us today is my friend Tony Russian, who is vice president of Network One Consulting. Um, spending 30 years in high technology sales and marketing from IBM to startups, Tony brings his broad experience in business development, marketing, and IT business strategy to Network One's leadership team, clients, and partners. His passion is to help people achieve greatness and however they define it. And by the way, if you're an Atlanta Braves fan, you will appreciate this. He does run it out when the ball is hit into the gap in the outfield, <laughs> unlike some of our players here. Network One delivers IT managed services exclusively to businesses in Metro Atlanta. Since 1998, Network One becomes or augments the IT department for companies. Network One's IT experts fix computers, but what their clients really value is the industry best practices they bring to the firm. It's especially important with technology along with regulations and cyber threats, which are changing rapidly. With, with over 30 employees, Network One has built a culture that attracts and retains network and desktop professionals who know their stuff and have an outstanding desk side man. That, that is not easy to do. They find and fix root causes instead of putting a Band-Aid on issues. Network One delivers proactive planning so their clients avoid problems and gain competitive advantage. So they're not just a cost function. Network One is a fractional chief information officer, support desk, network engineer, and everything in between. Tony, welcome to the program. Well, glad to be here, Mike. Thank you. So <clears throat> many of us encounter outsource support when we need to fix our computer in sort of a robot vacuum. Is, is outsourced IT support simply hiring Dave from India, or what does that look like? <laughs> well, no offense today from India, but if that's all outsourced IT support would be, there wouldn't be much outsourced IT. So it's much more than that, but you know, it can be confined to that too. It really runs the gamut of, as far as what companies need and then what they go out and get. So, you know, wh what if a company happens to have a lot of people who are relatively computer uncomfortable? Does that change the equation? You know, not every, not every company necessarily has or needs people who are who are power users at every desk, right? Does that at all impact the decision on whether or not you should keep that function in-house versus outsourcing it? Great question. I, uh, we've got 120 clients around Metro Atlanta, and I would say um, most of the users we support are relatively uncomfortable with uh, you know, technology. And yet they still have a job to do, and their threshold for when they need help is much lower than that power user often. Um, and some of those that are uncomfortable with technology are also in some form the rainmakers. It could be a salesperson. It could be a managing partner in a law firm. And so we haven't found any correlation to whether or not you outsource to the how comfortable or uncomfortable people are with technology. So let, let's back up. I probably should have made this the first question, but but too late. But it, this is a, a term people hear a lot, and I'm not sure they understand what it means. What When we say managed services, what does that mean? Yeah, managed services. Well, it can mean something different to different IT support companies. What it means for Network One, and, and in general, I think we're aligned with the, the industry, it's the ongoing and always up-to-date services that are delivered by your outsourced IT company. So what does that mean? And not all outsourced IT is includes managed services. But for instance, basic security, 
Well, that's antivirus. Well, making sure it's the latest version and it's on everyone's desktop or laptop. Well, that kind of infers that desktops and laptops need to be monitored to make sure that the latest is on there. Uh, it could be an advanced security suite that's got uh, more tools and solutions in there to protect and prevent uh, bad guys from getting in, but also detecting them when they get in. It can be uh, managing a firewall so it always has the latest firmware and software involved in the company that is being managed on behalf never has to worry about it, never has to buy the hardware. It just gets supplied. So it, think of it as baked in. And so in, in effect, is it, is it fair to kind of characterize managed services for the most part as a just a turnkey solution to some IT operation that needs to happen? Yeah, great, great summary of it. Turnkey, and but typically it's also based on a menu. Hey, I need this, that, and the other, and I don't need those other things. Okay. So I, I think, in fact, I know a question on a lot of business owners and executives' minds is, you know, we we both understand the importance of IT to an organization, right? And when IT doesn't work, an organization can stop dead. And we've we've seen, we've heard of those those things. Um, how do you how do you overcome as as an executive this notion or the idea or the fear that? If I don't own my IT department, really own them, right? They're employees and I can, I don't know, yell at them or fire them or throw rocks at them, whatever, right? That, that just leaves me more vulnerable to a disaster. Yeah. You know, it's great you do this podcast because you're getting advisors in here that have some experience and yet some in your audience that own businesses will say, yeah, I hear that, but I think I have a better way. And so we, don't do too much to educate people. We let them, the marketplace educate them for them. What I mean by that is the common sense of one business owner might be, I need IT in-house. And it could be going great because let's say they're a financial advisory company and uh, they've got 15 people and they've got an IT guy that's good. He's customer oriented. He's focused. He runs around. He helps fix issues. And then he gets sick. Or he quits. Or he's not so good and he's spotty. That's the education of the owner like, oh, wait a minute. He is who he is. And by the way, the dynamic of the uh, marketplace is if he is really good, and I say he because most of them are guys, then he won't be satisfied forever at a 15-person financial advisory company. He'll want colleagues. He'll want more uh uh, you know, challenges, whatever it is. And so if someone chooses to bring it in-house, it could work great. My guess is for a small size business, let's say under 50 employees, it'll bite them in some way in, in, in some form or fashion. And you, know, you bring up something that I want to make sure that I talked about because um, I do think it's important, you know, with, with not intended to create an innuendo here, but, but I think size really does matter, right? I mean, th I think there's a, is it, is it fair to speculate on my part that there's maybe a sweet spot where, you know, can an organization get so big that, that having outsourced IT just is, at least entirely is no longer practical and maybe even on the small end, right? Outsourced IT may kind of even be overkill, right? If you're only one or two people and you know your way around a computer, 
maybe it should just kind of do that. Is that fair? It is fair. And um, I'll, I'll talk in generalities because it's different depending on the kind of business it is. Some are highly regulated. I use financial advisory as an, an example, and some are less regulated, for instance. Uh, in the marketplace, over time, and Network One's 21 years old. I've been there almost 10 years. I've seen a, almost a physics of size and when they need certain IT support. And if you're less than 10 employees or, or less than eight, you can often get away with some kind of as-needed IT support. So the opposite of managed services, you simply pick up the phone and call somebody if you need their help only when you have an issue. And sometimes that can be done internally if you got a smart guy and, hey, I'll fix it for you, right? Sometime between five and ten employees, if they're doing it with a smart person in-house and they're growing, they might say, hey, wait a minute. It's better to have Sally get out there and get new clients than fix our computers, and she's really good at getting new clients, for instance. And so that'll happen, and they'll say, well, let's get someone that can fix things when they break. Often at about that 10 employee standpoint, up to, say, 50, they'll say, hey, look, I need, it would be better if there was someone more proactive and all-inclusive delivering these services, not just when my hair's on fire. Because when my hair's on fire, I need them here now. And you can't always get them here now, whereas if they're fixing little things along the way, it can avoid the big thing. So really for companies less than 50 employees, but 10 to 50, we don't find a lot of in-house IT people. They're outsourcing everything. Somewhere between 50 and 100, typically we see them get their first IT person. And that can actually be work really well with an outsourced firm. We love working with an internal IT person because no matter how good our support desk is, and they're really good. I mean, they get to every issue within, on average, seven minutes. <laughs> wow. But the person on site can beat that every time. Now, not if he's helping Joe and Susie down the hall needs them at the same time. Right. That just assumes a person sort of waiting for the phone to ring and the, right. the, the bat phone lights up and all of a sudden yeah. they're rushing up to that person, right? Yeah. But between that 50 and 100 people, they typically have a person on site. And then if they get to that issue where, hey, we have multiple people and, and you know, our IT guy can't get to them all, they'll often bring in someone like us and say, hey, look, is there a way we can streamline so that they take what they can, but if it's over their technology knowledge or if they're flat out, um, you know, covered up with a couple different issues or, you know what, the dang employee wants vacation once in a while, go figure, right? Uh, they'll have an, uh, a relationship with someone like us, a managed service uh, company, and says, look, we want to escalate or we want to hand off whenever we need to. So that's about 50 to 100. And then when you get multiple people in IT, then they have colleagues, then they can internally go on vacation or go to a class and still have someone to backfill. And we find that typically when there's more than 100 employees. So I, I think there's an important point there that I want to I make sure we highlight is that this choice may or may not necessarily be an either or, right? It very well could be an and, right? Yeah. You, may, you may have you know, one IT resource that is captive, 
right? But then some a firm like yours might then be available to augment that on, you know, it could be as needed, it could be strategic, whatever, right? So maybe, maybe in some cases, it's a fault. You can have your cake, you have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, really. Uh, it ends up being managing the business risk and managing the ongoing productivity of your employees on a fundamental level. The business risk is I have one IT guy and he gets sick, he leaves, he goes on vacation, whatever. And, the, and of course, Murphy says that's when the bad thing's going to happen and you need help. Absolutely. Right then. And, if you wait till then to have this outsourced relationship, well, the company you bring in doesn't know your system. And so they're doing the best they can, but at best it's triage, learning the systems. Oh, was it documented? Oh, you don't even know passwords? Well, then they're hacking into your system. Right. It's like an emergency room visit. Exactly. Uh, whereas if you do it when everything's quiet, you've got your IT person. They're part of the solution of bringing in the company. They're they're actually even getting, hey, what's my style? What's the style of the person going to work with me? Do they work with me well? Uh, then they're part of the solution, and it, it, it works fine for when those emergencies come up. So you mentioned something else I want to make sure to, to underline, because I, I think one of the arguments somebody might have to maintain a captive IT resource is that notion that, well, I own them, so the service, the response time is going to be instantaneous, right? But, you know, that's not necessarily the case. And if you work with the right partner, you may very well find that you get, you know, assuming it doesn't necessarily need to be an on-site, because most of these, most computer issues can be addressed remotely now, um, that you aren't necessarily making that sacrifice of responsiveness that you thought you might. Yeah, it, it all depends. It depends a lot on the, how customer service oriented is the person you hire yep. and you know, people can be really good in interviews and then you get what you get, but let's say they're great, you know, and they, they know their technology and they're really customer service oriented. You still run into, Oh my gosh, the rainmakers on the road and his laptop failed. And yet they're addressing a server down issue in the other part of your company they can't do two things at once, but that's part of the business dynamic. I think companies get there uh, on their own, get there meaning, oh, we need to augment the current per person we have in sight simply from enduring enough IT issues that, you know, the person can't clone themselves. So um, I, I would have to imagine that you're having many more conversations about cybersecurity now than you were, say, 10 years ago, maybe Absolutely. even five years ago, right? So how does the how do concerns about cybersecurity impact that decision uh, of, of outsourcing IT functions? On the one hand, I could see an argument that's that said, well, again, if I have this captive asset, I own it, it's ostensibly a closed cycle, that should be nominally more secure. On the other hand, maybe it's by outsourcing your brain and expertise, you could not possibly afford to hire because cybersecurity experts are, you know, they're, they're as well paid as a senior software engineer, if not more at this point. Where do you kind of fall in that? Where do you, where, how do you kind of look at that, that mini decision within the decision process? Yeah, great question. I don't think overall it really affects the fundamental of do I outsource or do I bring it, have it in house? Uh, what it has done, and really it's, we've seen the acceleration rapidly in the last three years, you know, where, uh, cybersecurity, it's gone from reading about it in the newspaper, like, oh, it happened to someone else, to people, oh, it happened to my company, or the 
my next door neighbor's company and I know him personally. And I think that's what's accelerated it. Um, you, you kind of set it up really well with if, if it's that single in-house person and you're keeping them really busy, how much time do they have to do that proactive? Hey, what new solutions are in the marketplace that might protect us better? Uh, do they have colleagues already in house that they can pick up the phone and just have a brainstorm sounding board conversation about, Hey, we got this bad malware. How did you guys prevent it? It's hard to find that really tactically good computer broke, fix it fast person and have that same person be that strategic, always looking forward. Hey, what's on the horizon? What are the bad guys doing? What are the good guys doing? What solution should I be looking at? Oh, I should bring it in and vet it and do a pilot on it. Oh, wait a minute. This guy's computer broke. That's where I have to spend my time. And that's the, that's the reality of what that single shingle person is involved with. And so it ends up driving more people. I think driving more outsourced IT uh, conversations whether you keep that internal person, and if he's good, you should, or whether you simply want to outsource all of it. So, um, you know, many companies now are also using cloud services or putting all their data up in the cloud, whether it's OneDrive, Dropbox, something like that. Does that impact a need to, does that impact at all kind of the decision as to whether or not you outsource versus keep in house, given that? By definition, when you're putting your data in your cloud, you're already taking a step to outsource anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of things that are bundled into that, you know, cloud solution are what a company like us would do if you had it running on a server internally, meaning the servers in that cloud solution, if you picked a, a good one, right? Not one that's really in someone's basement, but, right. you know, Microsoft or, you know, Office 365 or something like that. Joe'sVPN.com. <laughs> right. Uh, they're going to have redundancy built in. They're going to have backups built in. They're going to make sure that um, everything's designed in a way where the application's not going to go down. Or if it goes down, it's going to be minutes and, you know, like that, not two days. So all of that is a real big step up. Where we find that people, I mean, you still need, you still have users and you still have them. I mean, I'll, I'll flip it around and ask you a question. Do people still go to the wrong websites? All the time. Do they still get tricked by that email, that phishing email, then they might click on something? You better believe it. Do they still forget to run the updates when their computer says run these updates? Uh, especially with Windows, I think many people actively... Avoid it. Yeah, because then, you know, you got to reboot or, hey, the update might cause a problem. It takes a minute. takes a minute. So it's the user issues that are still the same. In fact, maybe they're more complicated because you're not going to pick up the phone if Office 365 is not working right and call Microsoft and actually get a response. Right, not unless you're a really big user, right, right. or you've really paid for their Cadillac plan, which they will sell you, right, but then you're really saving anything, right? Right. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I want to go back to those questions you just asked because they're they're so important. Um, you know, speaking of say a, a spear phishing, mm -hmm. you know, attack. Uh, a friend of mine who was a CFO fell prey to a spear phishing attack and lost her job. Wow! 
within two days, gone, right? Now, I do not believe it was her fault. The the organization had never trained her or anybody Mm. to recognize spear phishing. There are no policies, rules, procedures, right? Yes, there's human error, but to me, that was human error that was set up by an organizational failure Mm. to be prepared. So my question for you is, uh, you know, beyond kind of the nuts and bolts of of keeping a machine running, keeping software updated and so forth, can an outsourced IT function, if it's not you, maybe somebody else, also help kind of establish those those rules, procedures, create awareness? Because at the end of the day, you still you do still need your end users to be smart about this thing. Yeah, and it it's interesting. The biggest weakness in any network is still the human firewall. Yeah, it's that person, and you hit the nail on the head. Well, how do you make that human firewall more secure? It's through education. It's through training. It's through, um, and and not one time events. Right? It's like, hey, security is important, and that's the day that that you hired them, and then you never talk about it again. Well, that doesn't work. Um, right. This isn't sensitivity training. Okay. Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Hold your emails. Right. Um, so the, first of all, we as the outsourced IT or any outsourced IT can influence the leadership of the company to take security, um, seriously and make it part of their employee handbook, make it part of their, regularly ongoing uh, employee training. Uh, but at the end of the day, if they don't, if the leadership doesn't step up to lead it and, and, and say, this is important and this is what we're doing, we can only influence, right? But let's say it is a company that they care. Yep. It's like, look, I want, I want this to care. Then yeah, um, we can advise, well, then here are the, uh, steps, the processes, the training that you should incorporate into your culture. And here's the frequency at which you should do it. Um, so I think most companies that are like us um, and helping those smaller companies can at least advise, influence, give some examples of processes and procedures to put in place to raise up their security and solutions to put in place. If they need, if they're in a regulated industry and they need something more robust, then you've got those paid as much as a software developer kind of people that are consultants to put whole company uh, assessments in place around security, physical and online security, and put uh, you know really extensive processes and procedures in place. I mean that that yeah and that that security space has has evolved into sort of the neurosurgery I think of the IT world. Partially because and I'm glad you brought up the regulations because um you know financial statement audit rules are now directly addressing this, mm-hmm. right? Your data security in my world now you know I am although I'll although badly I am now asking customers and not customers I'm asking clients when I appraise their business what are they doing about data security? Uh-huh. How many records do they have that are potentially exposed, right? Do you do business in Europe where you know, GDPR becomes effective yeah. or in California where their rules become effective? Because I, I don't think that if you're, if you ignore that, you're, you're really missing a big potential risk, right? Yeah. So, but, but it's become so specialized that, you know, if you're a generalist, you just, you just can't cover it, right? And if yeah. you're really sensitive, if you've got you know high sensitivity, that may be another IT 
function that needs to ultimately be outsourced and just part of the cost of doing business, right? Yeah, and, and the good news is um, when you look at the tools or the technology that's available to also help protect and prevent uh, and um, you know detect security breaches, in this day and age, they are very affordable for small businesses, and especially if they outsource because what they also get the benefit of, let's say with us, is a 50-person company pays a 50-person price for whatever licenses they might get of Cisco Umbrella that protects them way out on the Internet side or Huntress Labs, which is a cool piece of software that doesn't protect you, but it always scans to check and detect if something made it through because something's going to get through no matter yeah. how good your protection is. Yep. Well, those things for a 50-person company might cost them, say, $40 per computer per month. Well, a company like us will buy 2,000 nodes for all our clients, and then we'll offer it to our clients for $10 a computer a month. Plus, by the way, you know, we'll – get an alert when something happens and we'll dig into it and you don't even have to know about it. So I wanted to bring in cost because it's important. These solutions typically start with big companies and then over the years more competition comes in or that same company will develop a, a price point that is very palatable for small businesses. Yeah, and, and interestingly enough, I, I, I see the same thing but from a different angle. I see that also occurring because small companies, most of them at some point would like to be bought by a larger company. And I have seen deals get stopped dead or at least get dragged through the mud and prices go down because the, the, the larger acquirer that does have kind of quote unquote best practices or think they do, right? And they're reaching down into this, this small company that is, is farther behind, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like trying to buy a house and you realize you got to put a million dollars to get it up to code yeah. and, and, and the deal can fall apart. So, you know, I, I think a best practice for many companies is to make your IT as best practices as you can afford if you want to be acquired because an information officer will say, Look, this, this is too risky, right? Either they've got to go through and get a real grown up IT audit and a clean bill of health from, you know, a national firm, or it just doesn't make sense. And exhibit A was the Verizon Yahoo deal, mm -hmm. right? I remember when Verizon bought Yahoo a while ago. And in the middle of that deal, they discovered a breach and it shaved billions of dollars off the acquisition price. I mean, that's an extreme example, but it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and I want to play off that in a couple different ways. And in your example, that doesn't mean the small company has to spend big company money. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be more secure than your neighbor, just like physical security with your house. Run faster than the other guy when you're running from the bear. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And um, so no one's asking them to you know, spend what Yahoo or Verizon spent. In fact, no matter how much they're spending, they can't keep themselves safe. So if the bad guys want to get you, they're going to get you. What you want to do is button down things so when they knock on your door from a cyber standpoint, oh, no one's home, go to the next. I check the windows, can't get in. And they quickly go to the next. And so you don't have to spend that kind of price. You just have to pay attention to it appropriately. And 
going back to outsourcing, if you're a single small business, you may not know what's available out there in your price point or what are best practices without overspending for a company that's 40 people. Whereas a company like us has 120 clients that are that size and we work in there all day and by default then because we earn a living doing this, mm -hmm. we understand what best practices are, what's appropriate and what's available for that size company. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of your clients are law firms and accounting firms. They're law firms and financial advisors. Financial advisors, okay. Yeah, not quite accounting <clears throat> firms. So is, is that because those kinds of firms tend to lend themselves better to outsourced IT than do others? And are there, are there kinds of firms that say, you know what, this kind of firm probably really needs to just have stuff in-house? So way back in our history, 21 years, our founder married – an attorney and the daughter of an attorney. So it's not rocket science why we got law firms at the beginning. We okay. got referred in by people that knew our, right? Fair and, enough. And then we built enough reputation there for being good. We call it desk side manner to be able to explain things to an attorney or their staff that wasn't tech talk and to be empathetic and to, you know, be responsive. Uh, and so we got more law firms and attorneys. So truth be told. Now, are some better outsourced than others? No, pretty much we find across the board any business can benefit from it. The ones we found, actually, I say any, the ones that don't seem to be quite as good a fit is that technology company that part of their offering is delivered through technology that's facing for their client. Think of Amazon when they were really little. Well, when they were really little, they're structured the same way as they are now, and their technology was really client-facing. Click here and go on and, and order a book. Well, if you outsource the IT support for that, you may not – that's a critical function to their business. Those critical functions or the um, family jewels, if you will, you typically want to have in-house. Got so uh, that's not quite a fit, but any others we haven't seen a correlation. So, um, what does the, what is what are the, the economics of outsourcing IT typically look like? And and what I mean by that, in a more specific way, is are, are, is is pricing typically done on a monthly retainer? Is it done on a per incident basis? Done on an hourly basis? Some some other basis? How how does that typically work? Yeah, well, the good news for that small business owner is it's a highly competitive marketplace. In Metro Atlanta alone, uh, there's over 800 IT support companies. Wow. Yeah. I thought a, I had competition. That's a real number. And now, granted, uh, 780 of those 800 are one, two, or three-man shops. But the good news is that business owner – you brought up examples, you know, is it on a monthly retained basis? Is it per incident? Is it this or that? The answer is yes. Okay. You can find a provider that works with any of those models. And, and, and what about you guys? Is, is it, do, do you find that you kind of tailor your pricing to the particular needs and wants of that customer as well? Do you sort of have a, or do you have kind of a more of a fixed model? It's, it's both. We have okay. a, uh, three different basic plans, and then we have these managed services that 
oh, you don't need the advanced security suite in your environment. Okay, don't get that. Or you don't need the the backup and recovery with disaster recovery built into it, or at least it's not at your price point. Great, let's not do that. So it's some of both, smorgasbord and fixed plans. Um, we in particular won't take a client that merely wants to call us when their hair's on fire. That's the as needed only. Okay. However, we've been around Atlanta for 21 years, so if we find someone or if someone's referred to us and say, this is the kind of plan I want, we'll simply say, well, that doesn't fit us, but we know two people that are really good at that. Mm -hmm. And would you like their names? Yeah. Yes, we would. All right, go call them. We found we, uh, I've been there 10 years, and for the first three years of me being there, we tried to serve both kind of clients. And we found we simply couldn't because our monthly retained clients are where we put all our resources. And then that person with their hair on fire calls and it's like, do we take this engineer off this client that pays us every month? No, of course we don't. And then we'd never be responsive enough for the hair on fire guy. Right. And that makes sense. I mean, it'd be, it'd be like working at, um, uh, you know, at a car company and they have this assembly line. That's their model. And then all of a sudden the CEO wants a custom car built. Right, it would break the it break everybody. Right, yeah. you wouldn't get a very good custom car, and it would disrupt the entire you know assembly line too. Um, Tony, th this has been great. We're we're running out of time, so we're gonna need to wrap up. But if, if somebody wants to contact you with questions about this decision, how can they do that? Yeah, a lot of ways to contact. It's uh, T Russian R U S H I N at Network One Consulting dot com, and that's the numeral one. So that's long. The first time you type it, you know just Put me in as a contact. You can find me on LinkedIn, Tony Russian. Uh, we've got a website. Um, you know, we do tweet and we do Facebook. Personally, I'm not on those too much because our I'm on LinkedIn mostly because that's where business people are. Right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Tony Russian so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our, decision, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.